0: Section 59 of Volume 1-D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. VOLUME 1D, SECTION 59, CHAPTER 49, PART 2 Oliveros, too, though a grandee of Spain, who had the right of being covered before his own king, would not put on his hat in the prince's presence. All the prisons of Spain were thrown open, and all the prisoners received their freedom, as if the event the most honorable and most fortunate had happened to the monarchy and every sumptuary law with regard to apparel was suspended during Charles's residence in Spain. The Infanta, however, was only shown to her lover in public, the Spanish ideas of decency being so strict as not to allow of any further intercourse till the arrival of the dispensation. The point of honor was carried so far by that generous people that no attempt was made on account of the advantage which they had acquired of imposing any harder conditions of treaty their pious zeal only prompted them on one occasion to desire more concessions in the religious articles but upon the opposition of bristol accompanied with some reproaches they immediately desisted the pope however hearing of the prince's arrival in madrid tacked some new clauses to the dispensation and it became necessary to transmit the Articles to London that the king might ratify them. This treaty, which was made public, consisted of several articles, chiefly regarding the exercise of the Catholic religion by the Infanta and her household. Nothing could reasonably be found fault with, except one article, in which the king promised that the children should be educated by the princess till ten years of age. This condition could not be insisted upon, but with a view of seasoning their minds with the Catholic principles, and though so tender an age seemed a sufficient security against theological prejudices, yet the same reason which made the Pope insert that article should have induced the King to reject it. Besides the public treaty, there were separate articles privately sworn to by the King, in which he promised to suspend the penal laws enacted against Catholics to procure a repeal of them in Parliament, and to grant a toleration for the exercise of the Catholic religion in private houses. Great murmurs, we may believe, would have arisen against these articles, had they been made known to the public. Since we find to have been imputed as an enormous crime to the Prince that, having received about this time a very civil letter from the Pope, he was induced to return a very civil answer meanwhile gregory the fifteenth who granted the dispensation died and urban the eighth was chosen in his place upon this event the nuncio refused to deliver the dispensation till it should be renewed by urban and that crafty pontiff delayed sending a new dispensation in hopes that during the prince's residence in spain some expedient might be fallen upon to effect his conversion the king of England, as well as the prince, became impatient. On the first hint, Charles obtained permission to return, and Philip graced his departure with all the circumstances of elaborate civility and respect which had attended his reception. He even erected a pillar on the spot where they took leave of each other, as a monument of mutual friendship; and the prince, having sworn to the observance of all the articles, entered on his journey and embarked on board the English fleet at Saint Andero. The character of Charles, composed of decency, reserve, modesty, sobriety, virtues so agreeable to the manners of the Spaniards, the unparalleled confidence which he had reposed in their nation, the romantic gallantry which he had practised towards the princess, all these circumstances, joined to his youth and advantageous figure, had endeared him to the whole court of Madrid and had impressed the most favourable ideas of him. But, in the same proportion that the prince was beloved and esteemed, was Buckingham despised and hated. His behaviour, composed of English familiarity and French vivacity, his sallies of passion, his indecent freedoms with the prince, his dissolute pleasures, his arrogant, impetuous temper, which he neither could nor cared to disguise, qualities like these could most of them be esteemed nowhere but to the spaniards were the objects of peculiar aversion they could not conceal their surprise that such a youth could intrude into a negotiation now conducted to a period by so accomplished a minister as bristol and could assume to himself all the merit of it they lamented the infantis fate who must be approached by a man whose temerity seemed to respect no laws divine or human and when they observed that he had the imprudence to insult the conde duke of Olivarez, their prime minister, every one who was ambitious of paying court to the Spanish became desirous of showing a contempt for the English favourite. The duke of Buckingham told Olivarez that his own attachment to the Spanish nation and to the king of Spain was extreme, that he would contribute to every measure which should cement the friendship between England and them, and that his peculiar ambition would be to facilitate the prince's marriage with the infanta. But, he added, with a sincerity equally insolent and indiscreet, With regard to you, sir, in particular, you must not consider me as your friend, but must ever expect from me all possible enmity and opposition. The conde duke replied, with a becoming dignity, that he very willingly accepted of what was proffered him, and on these terms the favourites parted. Buckingham, sensible how odious he was become to the Spaniards, and dreading the influence which that nation would naturally acquire after the arrival of the Infanta, resolved to employ all his credit in order to prevent their marriage. By what arguments he could engage the prince to offer such an insult to the Spanish nation, from whom he had met with such generous treatment, By what colours he could disguise the ingratitude and imprudence of such a measure. These are totally unknown to us. We may only conjecture that the many unavoidable causes of delay, which had so long prevented the arrival of the dispensation, had afforded to Buckingham a pretense for throwing on the Spaniards the imputation of insincerity in the whole treaty. It also appears that his impetuous and domineering character had acquired what it ever after maintained, a total ascendant over the gentle and modest temper of Charles. And when the prince left Madrid, he was firmly determined, notwithstanding all his professions, to break off the treaty with Spain. It is not likely that Buckingham prevailed so easily with James to abandon a project which, during so many years, had been the object of all his wishes, and which he had now unexpectedly conducted to a happy period. A rupture with Spain, the loss of two millions, were prospects little agreeable to this Pacific and indigent monarch. But, finding his only son bent against a match which had always been opposed by his people and his Parliament, he yielded to difficulties which he had not courage or strength of mind sufficient to overcome. The Prince, therefore, and Buckingham, on their arrival at London, assumed entirely the direction of the negotiation and it was their business to seek for pretenses by which they could give a colour to their intended breach of treaty. Though the restitution of the Palatinate had ever been considered by James as a natural or necessary consequence of the Spanish alliance, he had always forbidden his ministers to insist on it as a preliminary article to the conclusion of the marriage treaty. He considered that this principality was now in the hands of the Emperor and the Duke of Bavaria, and that it was no longer in the king of spain's power by a single stroke of his pen to restore it to its ancient master the strict alliance of spain with these princes would engage philip he thought to soften so disagreeable a demand by every art of negotiation and many articles must of necessity be adjusted before such an important point could be effected it was sufficient in james's opinion if the sincerity of the spanish court could for the present be ascertained and dreading further delays of the marriage so long wished for he was resolved to trust the palatine's full restoration to the event of future counsels and deliberations this whole system of negotiation buckingham now reversed and he overturned every supposition upon which the treaty had hitherto been conducted after many fruitless artifices were employed to delay or prevent the espousals, Bristol received positive orders not to deliver the proxy, which had been left in his hands, or to finish the marriage, till security were given for the full restitution of the Palatinate. Philip understood this language. He had been acquainted with the disgust received by Buckingham and deeming him a man capable of sacrificing to his own ungovernable passions the greatest interests of his master and of his country, his had expected that the unbounded credit of that favourite would be employed to embroil the two nations. Determined, however, to throw the blame of the rupture entirely on the English, he delivered into Bristol's hand a written promise, by which he bound himself to procure the restoration of the Palatinate either by persuasion or by every other possible means and when he found that this concession gave no satisfaction he ordered the infanta to lay aside the title of princess of wales which she bore after the arrival of the dispensation from rome and to drop the study of the english language any thinking that such rash counsels as now govern the court of england would not stop at the breach of the marriage treaty he ordered preparations for war immediately To be made throughout all his dominions thus james having by means inexplicable from the ordinary rules of politics conducted so near an honorable period the marriage of his son and the restoration of his son-in-law failed at last of his purpose by means equally unaccountable but though the expedients already used by buckingham were sufficiently inglorious both for himself and for the nation it was necessary for him, ere he could fully effect his purpose, to employ artifices still more dishonorable. The king, having broken with Spain, was obliged to concert new measures, and without the assistance of Parliament no effectual step of any kind could be taken. The benevolence which, during the interval, had been rigorously exacted for recovering the Palatinate, though levied for no popular an end, had procured to the king less money than ill-will from his subjects. Whatever discouragements, therefore, he might receive from his ill-agreement with former parliaments, there was a necessity of summoning once more this assembly. And it might be hoped that the Spanish alliance which gave such umbrage, being abandoned, the commons would now be better satisfied with the king's administration. In his speech to the houses, James dropped some hints of his cause of compliance against Spain, and he graciously condescended to ask the advice of Parliament, which he had ever before rejected with regard to the conduct of so important so affair as his son's marriage. Buckingham delivered to a committee of lords and commons a long narrative, which he pretended to be true and complete, of every step taken in the negotiations with Philip but partly by the suppression of some facts partly by the false coloring laid on others this narrative was calculated entirely to mislead the parliament and to throw on the court of spain the reproach of artifice and insincerity he said that after many years negotiation the king found not himself any nearer his purpose and that bristol had never brought the treaty beyond general professions and declarations that the prince doubting the good intentions of spain resolved at last to take a journey to madrid and put the matter to the utmost trial that he there found such artificial dealing as made him conclude all the steps taken toward the marriage to be false and deceitful that the restitution of the palatinate which had ever been regarded by the king as an essential preliminary was not seriously intended by spain and that after enduring much bad usage the prince was obliged to return to england without any hopes either of obtaining the infanta or of restoring the elector palatine this narrative which considering the importance of the occasion and the solemnity of that assembly to which it was delivered deserves great blame was yet vouched for truth by the prince of wales who was present and the king himself lent it indirectly his authority by telling the parliament "'that it was by his orders Buckingham laid the whole affair before them. "'The conduct of these princes is difficult fully to excuse. "'It is in vain to plead the youth and inexperience of Charles, "'unless his inexperience in youth, as is probable, if not certain, "'really led him into error, "'and made him swallow all the falsities of Buckingham. "'And though the king was here hurried from his own measures "'by the impetuosity of others,' Nothing should have induced him to prostitute his character, and seemed to vouch the impostures, at least false colourings, of his favorite, of which he had so good reason to entertain a suspicion. Buckingham's narrative, however artfully disguised, contained so many contradictory circumstances, as were sufficient to open the eyes of all reasonable men but it concurred so well with the passions and prejudices of the parliament that no scruple was made of immediately adopting it charmed with having obtained at length the opportunity so long wished for of going to war with papists they little thought of future consequences but immediately advised the king to break off both treaties with spain as well that which regarded the marriage as that for the restitution of the palatinate The people, ever greedy of war till they suffer by it, displayed their triumph at these violent measures by public bonfires and rejoicings, and by insults on the Spanish ministers. Buckingham was now the favorite of the public and of the Parliament. Sir Edward Coke in the House of Commons called him the savior of the nation. Every place resounded with his praises, and he himself, intoxicated by a popularity which he enjoyed so little time, and which he so ill-deserved, violated all duty to his indulgent master, and entered into cables with the puritanical members who had ever opposed the royal authority. He even encouraged schemes for abolishing the orders of bishops and selling the dean and chapter lands in order to defray the expenses of a Spanish war. And the king, though he still entertained projects for temporizing and for forming an accommodation with Spain, was so borne down by the torrent of popular prejudices conducted and increased by buckingham that he was at last obliged in a speech to parliament to declare in favour of hostile measures if they would engage to support him doubts of their sincerity in this respect doubts which the event showed not to be ill-grounded had probably been one cause of his former pacific and dilatory measures in his speech on this occasion the king began with lamenting his own unhappiness that having so long valued himself on the epithet of the pacific monarch he should now in his old age be obliged to exchange the blessing of peace for the inevitable calamities of war he represented to them the immense and continued expense requisite for military armaments and besides supplies from time to time as they should become necessary he demanded a vote of six subsidies and twelve fifteenths as a proper stock before the commencement of hostilities. He told them of his intolerable debts, chiefly contracted by the sums remitted to the Palatine. But he added that he did not insist on any supply for his own relief, and that it was sufficient for him if the honor and security of the public were provided for. To remove all suspicion, he, who had ever strenuously maintained his prerogative, and who had even extended it into some points esteemed doubtful, Now made an imprudent concession, of which the consequences might have proved fatal to royal authority. He voluntarily offered that the money voted should be paid to a committee of parliament, and should be issued by them without being entrusted to his management. The commons willingly accepted of this concession, so unusual in an English monarch. They voted him only three subsidies and three fifteenths, and they took no notice of his complaints and they took no notice of the complaints which he made of his own wants and necessities. Advantage was also taken of the present good agreement between the king and parliament, in order to pass the bill against monopolies, which had formerly been encouraged by the king, but which had failed by the rupture between him and the last house of commons. This bill was conceived in such terms as to render it merely declaratory, and all monopolies were condemned, as contrary to law and to the known liberties of the people it was there supposed that every subject of england had entire power to dispose of his own actions provided he did no injury to any of his fellow subjects and that no prerogative of the king no power of any magistrate nothing but the authority alone of laws could restrain that unlimited freedom the full prosecution of this noble principle into all its natural consequences has at last through many contests produced that singular and happy government which we enjoy at present the house of commons also corroborated by a new precedent the important power of impeachment which two years before they had exercised in the case of chancellor bacon and which had lain dormant for near two centuries except when they served as instruments of royal vengeance The Earl of Middlesex had been raised, by Buckingham's interest from the rank of a London merchant, to be treasurer of England, and by his activity and address seemed not unworthy of that preferment. But as he incurred the displeasures of his patron by scrupling or refusing some demands of money during the prince's residence in Spain, that favourite vowed revenge, and employed all his credit among the commons to procure an impeachment of the treasurer. The King was extremely dissatisfied with this measure, and prophesied to the Prince and Duke that they would live to have their fill of parliamentary prosecutions. In a speech to the Parliament, he endeavored to apologize for Middlesex, and to soften the accusation against him. The charge, however, was still maintained by the Commons, and the treasurer was found guilty by the peers, though the misdemeanors proved against him were neither numerous nor important. The accepting of two presents of five hundred pounds apiece for passing two patents was the article of greatest weight. His sentence was to be fined fifty thousand pounds for the king's use, and to suffer all the other penalties formerly inflicted upon Bacon. The fine was afterwards remitted by the prince, when he mounted the throne. This session an address was also made, very disagreeable to the king, craving the severe execution of the laws against catholics his answer was gracious and condescending though he declared against persecution as being an improper measure for the suppression of any religion according to the received maxim that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church he also condemned an entire indulgence of the catholics and seemed to represent a middle course as the most humane and most politic He went so far as even to affirm with an oath that he never had entertained any thoughts of granting a toleration to these religionists. The liberty of exercising their worship in private houses, which he had secretly agreed to in the Spanish treaty, did not appear to him deserving that name, and it was probably by means of this explication he thought that he had saved his honor. And as Buckingham, in this narrative, confessed that the king had agreed to a temporary suspension of the penal laws against the Catholics, which he distinguished from a toleration, a term at that time extremely odious, James naturally deemed his meaning to be sufficiently explained, and feared not any reproach of falsehood or duplicity on account of this asseveration. After all these transactions, the Parliament was prorogued by the king, Who let fall some hints, though in gentle terms, of the sense which he entertained of their unkindness in not supplying his necessities. End of section fifty nine. Chapter forty nine, part two.